Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning and welcome to Headlam's 2021 year-end presentation. Uh, My name is Chris Payne. I'm the uh, Chief Executive. Uh, This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the uh, 2021 performance and strategic update. And then we'll be talking about the dividend profile. I'm delighted to announce that we are uh, also issuing a a return to shareholders through uh, a special dividend and also a structured buyback program. And then we'll close the uh, presentation with an update on our ESG strategy um, and a brief trading update of performance in the early part of 2022. So about us, so this is Headlam on a page, if you like. We've been operating in the floor covering sector for just over 30 years. Um, We've got nearly 25,000 customer accounts um, across the UK and a little bit in um, continental Europe as well. Um, Predominantly, those customers are small independent retailers um, and uh, fitters. We do have some large customers uh, within that group as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that customer segmentation later on. Um, We have a a comprehensive service offering across the UK predominantly through um, the broadest range of uh, stock holding um, that exists in the UK. Um, We have uh, 66 sort of selling organisations, if you like, and they're operating out of just over 20 uh, distribution hubs um, and 53 trade counters. And again, I'll cover um, our ambition around growing the trade counter footprint later on. We have dedicated sales teams who sell those 66 brands. Um, And we have an extremely strong, um, well-founded business um, with a a good quality balance sheet and track record of delivering performance uh, over those 30 years. We've been going through a business change strategy in the last couple of years, and we'll dwell um, on some of the detail in that section uh, later on in the slides. Um, We have identified some substantial growth opportunities for us as a business, um, and indeed, uh, we are targeting a a growth in our operating margin. So the highlights for 2021, um, we've pulled out some some bullet points on this slide, and on the right-hand side, we have shown the split of our revenue between the commercial part of our business and the residential part, and indeed the split between the UK and continental Europe business. Now, those have changed a little bit in the last few years. Typically, they have been quite consistent over time. But for those of you who know Headlam, I've mentioned the the slight drift towards residential market in the last couple of years, and we saw that certainly in 2021. Now, that's born out of the fact that the residential market has been buoyant, and we've seen that in many parts uh, of the sector. And that has meant that the typical sort of two-thirds, one-third residential commercial split has moved a little bit towards residential, and we currently are at 68.5 and 31.5 in favour of residential. That's had an impact on on gross margin. So we saw um, a revenue recovery in 2021 from a relative low point in 2020, which was heavily COVID affected. So we did have um, some closed operations in 2020. We were fully operational in 2021, hence the the strong bounce back. And gross margin actually was relatively rich in 2021. So we've seen a record 33% gross margin. Now that was helped uh, by a couple of things. One was um, the Um, the price inflation that's been a feature of the marketplace uh, over the last year. Um, And secondly, this move towards a residential sector, typically residential products for us um, that are smaller orders than the commercial space typically are at a higher margin. So that mixed benefit has also helped gross margin. 
Um, but actually some of the factors that we've been following through in the change plan and, and the operational improvements that we've been, we'll cover later on um, have, have also helped the gross margin. So we have seen, therefore, an increase and a bounce back in our operating margins uh, and well on the way towards the 7.5% target that we have referred to the market in previous uh, presentations. So that's meant that our underlying profit before tax has really seen a strong bounce back, not quite at 2019 levels yet, and we've got a slide where we'll, we'll talk about the comparatives in previous years. There's a couple of points in here about the, the balance sheet, so net funds and average net funds, um, and we've got a real strong performance around cash. Uh, the generation of cash and the retention of cash this year has been particularly good, and we've ended up with a, a strong positive net funds position all year. And that's uh, in contrast to what we've seen in previous years. As a result of that sort of strong cash position, we are proposing a couple of things. We are proposing a, uh, a final dividend um, and also uh, a, an additional distribution to shareholders, uh, which I'll come on to uh, in more detail later in the slides, um, but that will be in the form of both a special dividend and a structured buyback program. So turning to the financial track record, um, these are comparatives against last year and also we put on here 2019 because that was uh, the year obviously pre-COVID. So we're able to compare and contrast our results that we've seen in 21 against 19. So just turning to the six key features that we've pulled out, we talk about revenue, we talk about profit, we talk about the dividend payments and also net funds on this slide. So I think what we can see is that the revenue has been a bit of a bounce back, but we haven't got back to 2019 levels yet which has meant that the underlying profit, although is relatively close, does show that we are improving our operating margin um, as a result of that improvement in the quality of the earnings that we're seeing. We are seeing, therefore, a recovery in the EPS. Now, the EPS has also been affected by an increase in the tax rate since 2019. So we'll come to the income slide later on, but we have seen an increase in the effective tax rate um, between 19 and 21, which has held back uh, EPS a little bit. Dividends, again, uh, good news on dividends. We are announcing uh, the final uh, dividend and also the, the special dividend, which will come to in time. And this shows also the average net debt uh, and the average funds that we've seen as a significant improvement uh, in 2021 over previous years. Uh, hence, has given us the confidence to return some of that surplus cash uh, that the board has identified. So this is a, the daily sales chart, and we typically do spend a little bit of time talking about this chart with investors. And there's a couple of features here. One is obviously the, the, the big V-shape that we saw in 2020, and I've talked about that before um, as a real strong bounce back and probably typical of what the Chancellor was hoping to see uh, when he announced all of the furlough plans uh, back in 2020. So we did see our business close during that period, uh, hence the, the, the significant decline in revenue. But I think the other feature is that we have seen that strong bounce back and the other lines we've put on here five, six years worth of trading. So you can see a pretty consistent profile. And I also have included the trading update for 2022 on here. So January and February's line for 22 is on here and I'll come back to that in a moment. But you can see that that has returned back to levels that we saw um, pre-COVID. So I think it uh, uh, does demonstrate this sort of consistent performance albeit interrupted uh, during 2020 and the early part of 21 uh, as a result of some of the trading restrictions we saw uh, during COVID. So just turning to uh, an operational update and, and kind of a, a summary of our strategy, 
There are four things here I just wanted to pull out from sort of highlights. Now, these are the, the, the fundamentals, the building blocks behind our strategy. I'll come on to some of the growth um, opportunities and what we've been doing uh, in the revenue side uh, in a moment. But j just sort of some of the features of operations. I think the, not surprisingly, much of the market, uh, and in particular this sector, has been affected by the supply chain issues that we've seen. Now, whether that's because of the oil prices, whether that's because of raw material shortages, transportation difficulties, that has been a challenge for the industry. Um, I'm pleased to say that we've been able to mitigate uh, much of that. Um, we've been able to handle the price increases that we've seen coming through from the supply chain. Um, and indeed, our inventory is actually up year on year. So that is evidence of us being able to manage through those supply chain uh, difficulties really rather well. Um, we have simplified our operations and we talked in the past about the um, consolidation of our network and the consolidation of our delivery vehicles. That's been achieved. Um, we have disposed of one of our um, uh, businesses in Switzerland in year. So I think it just demonstrates that this sort of more efficient, consolidated operation is starting to take effect. We have embedded those um, change benefits now. So I think we are seeing uh, where we are generating additional revenue, a higher return. And that's part of the reason why our operating margins are increasing. So we've got this more efficient um, operation that, that, that now supports the business. I'll come on to uh, the ESG strategy towards the end of the presentation, but I think it's safe to say that we have seen uh, a real focus um, following the publication of our first ESG strategy uh, in May in 21. So we have seen a real uh, focus um, and engagement, particularly with the supply chain uh, around ESG developments. And as I said, I'll come back to uh, those features uh, later on in the slides. So all in all, operations in good shape to help us deliver the, the margin targets that we've that we've stated in the market. So just coming on to revenue and growth and where we see the opportunity, this is a slide that I've shared in the past. And we did a bit of work to really understand the market and, and where much of the distribution turnover is spent. And, and we've identified these different customer types, some of which we're strong in. Uh, and I mentioned at the start, the nearly 25,000 uh, customer accounts that we've got, which tend to be towards the left-hand side of this slide in uh, the traditional retailers and the uh, independent fitters. But there are other big chunks of the market where we are typically quite underweight. Um, and if you look to the right-hand side of this slide, I'm, I'm talking about the, the large house builders, um, the uh, larger multiple retailers. Uh, and I've got some slides that talk about what we're doing to address those parts of the market where we're underweight. So this is a really exciting slide. We've got lots of opportunity to grow. Um, and as market leader, it's, it's great to be finding the, these opportunities for growth. So this is sort of strategy on a slide, if you like, and really summarizes what we've been doing. And I think the, the top half of this page underpins um, and is the operational side of the change that we've been delivering. And then at the bottom, these are the uh, sort of three main uh, elements of growth that we're looking to generate in the next year or two. And I've got some slides which cover these in more detail and I'll, and I'll run through them. But, but in summary, um, I say we've got the operational efficiency, what we've been doing to develop brands and, and engaging with the supply chain. Um, and then at the bottom, we've made some really good progress on trade counters, uh, uh, penetrating the large retailer section. And, and that's also helped, of course, by the digital and e-commerce investments we've been making. Um, and I've got some exciting uh, developments to talk to you about on, on those as well. 
So trade council is the first one of those. Um, we talked in previous presentations, which you may have seen, of a real ambition to nearly double the number of trade counters across the network. I say we've just got over 50 and we're looking to grow that up towards 100 in the coming years. Um, we see this as a real point of difference for us. Um, and in particular, during the COVID lockdown, many of our customers, as we all did in our home lives, really moved towards a sort of click and collect, this desire to transact online and then physically collect products. Um, from site. Now we've only got 53 to cover the whole country so clearly there is an opportunity for us to grow geographically and not just that we, we see an opportunity to grow the quality and content of each of the trade counters. So we've been working on a blueprint um, many of which has, have been rolled out to new sites. Now we've had some really good uh, feedback and uh, performance from the sites that we did in 2021 um, and the relative modest level of capital investment is, is one thing, but the real kind of investment is in blueprint and the quality of the people running those sites. So empowering the, the individuals who uh, run the trade counters to be salespeople, to get out in their local markets and really offer great service to customers. We've seen a, an uplift uh, and quite a significant uplift in the revenue from those sites that have been invested in. Um, and when you compare those to the sites that have yet to receive the investment, you can really see the impact of, of both sales growth and importantly, margin performance. So we've got great confidence that these trade counters that we are investing in and rolling out will generate that significant uh, revenue growth that we are articulating. Now it will take a number of years to get to, of course, because they take a while to mature, but certainly the evidence that we've seen on the sites that we have opened um, is that they are in line with our plans and accelerated the, the revenue that we were hoping to achieve. The next area of revenue focus is on the multiple retailers. Now, this is an area that, again, we've talked in the past from a, a sort of investment case perspective. Why does it make sense for a multiple retailer to work with Headlam? Um, and it is worth dwelling on that and, and building on the features of Headlam as a business. As I said, we offer uh, unrivaled stock holdings of, of range of products and suppliers and manufacturers. We can stock all of those uh, here in our facilities. And therefore, we can offer a really compelling range and depth of service offering and, and stock holding to, to customers. A multiple retailer is particularly interested in that because we're able to offer that sort of UK-wide consistent service. We can curate ranges for them. And I think it also takes the sort of bulky, quite difficult to handle products out of their distribution network. And it means that we can offer a real professional, dedicated floor covering service to them. So very compelling offer. Um, and what we've done here is that I've, I've picked out uh, as a case study, if you like, one of our uh, new customers in this sector. And this is something that we're hoping to develop uh, in the coming months and years. So Oak Furniture Land, a uh, well-known uh, high street retailer, um, took the decision to work with us and put oak flooring into their into their showrooms. So that's early days. We've been running a trial with them. Their early feedback is, is that they're delighted with the performance uh, that we've seen. The sites that have opened, their sort of flagship store in Cheltenham has, has made a number of uh, sales since they opened uh, in January. So we are seeing that as a, as a great opportunity, good quality product, complementary with their existing service offering to customers. Um, and they've also talked about the, the sort of halo impact that they get on sales of their other products as a result of having a really good looking kind of flooring setting uh, in their store. So that's something that uh, is, is really great for the customer, great for us, and, and we get the opportunity to, to grow into the future.
So turning to digital and e-commerce, I mentioned earlier, we've got the sort of exciting development and this is the, the slide which covers the Headlam app. So something that we launched right at the end of uh, 2021. Now this is a, an online portal for people to use and access their B2B accounts with whichever Headlam business they trade with. So it really gives them the ability to look at all of their accounts. They can transact, they can search for, for stock holdings, check prices, place orders. Um, and they can even use uh, the room visualizer that we've developed to, to, to share with their customers what the product might look like uh, in the home. They're also able to, to do things like um, create customer invoicing and pricing uh, from the app. So it's a real step forward uh, for us in the industry. Um, and certainly the feedback that we've had from customers has been extremely positive. Um, and as I said, in, the, in a handful of weeks, we've been able to generate well over a million pounds worth of sales uh, through this new app. So uh, it's exciting. Um, and of course, further developments and launches of uh, an upgrade to that app will come in time. And I think that's just one example really of the, the investment that we are making in the digital environment. Um, I think in, in many respects, um, we as, as consumers get spoiled by the amount of sort of digital engagement you get. Um, and B2B sometimes can be a little bit slower to, to market, but this is something that we are focusing on with our customers, developing um, special sort of packages to help with those um, large retailers in particular, um, order from us electronically, place orders. And we are seeing a significant increase in the amount of digital orders we're taking. We're well on the way to achieving that 30% target that we set ourselves. And we were down, just as a comparison, we were down in the teens um, only a couple of years ago. So a real transformation in the amount of orders and, and engagement we are taking online. I mentioned products and brands. This is a, a big area of development for the group. And we have a number of consumer recognized brands uh, in the marketplace, but arguably a little bit underinvested. So this is something that we have focused on and we are investing a bit of marketing, a bit of tightening of what the brands mean. And the team in Tamworth who are responsible for these brands have done a great job of developing uh, brand awareness and marketing collateral. We've launched new websites. And also we've developed a new brand uh, together with British Wool uh, called Wool Britannia, which is a sustainable flooring which uses wool as the, uh, as the surface and the top coat. So uh, again, that's an exciting development. We've done that in, co in combination with the marketing team at, at, um, at British Wool. So that gives us a real presence in the marketplace. It's something that we've been able to take to trade shows. Um, and it's something that consumers will, will recognize and buy into. So this sort of sustainable part of product development is obviously important for us. And this is, um, this is the start of, of a really, uh, I think, exciting uh, product development journey for us. Just turning to suppliers um, and what we've been doing in the buying space, I think one of the most pleasing aspects of the year is how we've uh, navigated the challenges around the supply issues we've seen in the industry and, and in the sector. Um, I mentioned at the start that we've had uh, an increase in our stock holding. We've been able to mitigate the challenges with the supply chain, the raw materials through engaging our suppliers and ensuring that we are working together to, to get good quality supply uh, regularly into the business. So that's been a real success uh, of the year. Um, we've started to work with uh, suppliers and talking about how do we ensure that we are uh, working towards a sustainable agenda. So promoting sustainable flooring, helping um, manufacturers uh, investigate and promote uh, more sustainable methods of, of manufacture and also some of the product development work that they're doing 
we are engaging with them on um, how we can support sort of end of life recovery of flooring as well. So that's kind of early days and it's, there's more of that to come. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in the ESG section at the end. Um, we are engaging suppliers on ranging and I mentioned having such a strong, deep um, set of products in, in our warehouses. Uh, and that's something that we're able to work with our kind of key um, relationship suppliers where we can focus on ranges and, and maybe even do more product in a deeper way with some of those key suppliers than having uh, a scattergun approach to supply. So I think that's something that um, we are working on this year and will continue into the future. So really important that we have this strategic uh, engagement with suppliers. And I think that's partly why we're able to mitigate the supply issues that we saw uh, uh, in 2021. So just turning to financials, I've got a handful of slides covering the financial performance for 2021. So we'll talk a little bit about the income statement, revenue, and then we'll move on onto the balance sheet. So income statement for 2021, we can see the comparatives in here as well. So what we have seen is a couple of things worth picking out. We saw that really strong recovery in revenue. Um, following the COVID-affected 2020. Uh, and as I mentioned at the start, although we haven't got 2019 on here, the revenue hasn't quite returned to 2019 levels. What we have seen, which is a fantastic performance, is the gross margin. Uh, I think a record 33% uh, gross margin, which is a great performance, has benefited a little bit from the price inflation we've seen in the marketplace um, and this sort of positive mix effect that we've seen moving to, to residential product. But partly that also reflects the work that we've been doing with our suppliers to, to improve the quality of the product that we're buying, uh, which is now reflected in margin. We've kept control over costs, which has meant that the operating margins have improved um, well on the way to the 7.5% target that I mentioned earlier. Now, there have been some non-underlying costs again in the year, and I have a slide which will talk a little bit more detail about that. And in particular, the write-down of the stock and the property that we have at Kidderminster, uh, Kidderminster Distribution Centre following the fire uh, towards the end of 2021. Um, so just focusing on revenue, um, this is a slide that I do like to talk through because it bridges the revenue that we saw from 2020 through to um, where we ended the year in 21. And it breaks it down into the, uh, the two key segments of the UK uh, and continental Europe and also breaks down the growth and change between uh, like for like uh, sort of underlying, if you like, sales improvement, changing working days, whether there's any effect of acquisitions or translation uh, from the European business. So um, I won't talk through every number, but what it does show is that both the UK and the European businesses both bounce back strongly uh, following the COVID affected 2020. And I think we have seen in both markets actually this sort of residential focus and people spending on their homes uh, as a result of spending more time at home, I think, and the disposable income and the lack of availability of travel and other hospitality measures that they may have seen uh, during 2020. So both markets performed very well. Um, and we did actually lose a little bit of revenue through um, a reduction in working days. So just um, focusing on profit. So this is, uh, again, a bridge that I like to talk to, which bridges um, one year's profit to the next and talks about the kind of key movements that we've seen uh, during the year. Um, now, 2020 was affected by COVID, as I said. Now, the consequence of that was that we took um, some furlough uh, money from the government uh, during 2020. So that's obviously had quite a big impact on 21, uh, where we've lost the benefit of that. But what we have seen as a result of the revenue growth is a really big uh, improvement in gross margin. So 40 million pounds worth of gross profit that, that came in. Um, we were able to hold on to half of that. Um, and that was through the sort of cost control that we had. 
and we did see an increase in people costs and variable costs, as you might imagine, to deliver that uh, additional volume. But it did mean that we were able to see quite a significant turnaround in, in profitability and, importantly, an improvement in that operating margin that I mentioned earlier. Uh, turning to non-underlying items, I mentioned the, uh, the fire at Kidderminster, which was a very difficult situation at the end of 2021 in December. Uh, thankfully, we knew very quickly that everybody was safe um, and, and got out of the building very quickly. Um, however, I think one, perhaps one good thing that did come out of it, it did demonstrate how resilient our business model actually is. So within four days, we were able to um, deliver first customer orders to the customers at Kidderminster. And now that was achieved through a very resilient business model that we've generated where uh, the digital investment we've made in phones and, and, and systems and operations meant we could switch the phones over, change the, um, the, the trading to one of our other uh, sites, and we're able to therefore deliver the stock and the customer orders, as I said, within four days. So fantastic achievement. And, and as I said, thankfully everybody's safe. What it did mean, though, of course, is that we had to write down the stock uh, and the property at Kidderminster, and we've taken that as a non-underlying cost in the year. Um, in, in other items, we have seen a continuation of the business restructuring costs, and I mentioned earlier that um, we have seen an operational efficiency move and we've improved the quality of the operations. Now, that did need a little bit of change um, and some people costs were taken in 20, carried on in 21, and that's now largely complete, so we shouldn't see any cost in 22. The other aspect was that we disposed of two freehold buildings that were surplus requirements following the opening of the Ipswich facility that I've talked about in the past. Um, and those two facilities were sold during the year um, and made again, which um, we've obviously also taken through non-underlying items. Um, so just turning to cash flows, um, and we have seen typically a really strong performance in cash. Now this year, a little different. Um, interestingly, we have seen the sort of unwind, if you like, of the working capital effect of the COVID lockdown. Um, now this is, uh, I'll try and explain how the numbers work here, but in 2020, we did see quite big cash inflows as the business was contracting through the COVID experience. And we saw um, big cash inflows through a reduction in working capital. That's now unwound, as you might imagine, as we've ramped the business back up. And the sort of inflow that we saw in 2020, pretty much matched by the outflow in 2021. So a bit of a normalization effect going on in working capital. We have seen some receipts coming in through uh, the disposal proceeds of the freehold properties that I mentioned just now, um, and in, indeed the uh, disposal of the Swiss business. So we have seen a, a strong sort of in and outflow um, on working capital between the two years, but we ended up um, uh, with a positive movement on cash um, at the end of 21. Um, balance sheet, uh, mentioned this before, mentioned it right at the start. It's a key feature of the business is a really strong, well-founded, well-invested business, uh, strong balance sheet. We own our own freeholds um, at our distribution centers, hence the disposal of the, the freeholds I mentioned earlier. Um, so that, that you can see that in a very strong balance sheet, a good inventory position, which is up on, on last year. Uh, and the other thing just to note is that we did renew and refinance our banking facilities just after the year end. So in January, we were able to uh, really go for a, a much longer tenor. Um, and the great news is that we've now got facilities out to October 26 with a, with a year extension as well. Now, clearly, we've got a very strong net funds position at the moment. So we'll talk a, bit, a little bit about the sort of surplus cash return to, to shareholders shortly. But it does show uh, a very strong balance sheet. 
just tracking the fund's position. This is a slide that we started to use a little while ago and shareholders like to see that they're the sort of pattern of funds and net funds as, as we go through the year. You can see that we've now moved away from the sort of half year and full year spikes that you tended to see. And I've, I've talked about that in the past of my desire to move to a more smooth payment stream to suppliers and receipts, and we've achieved that. And you can see this sort of steady recovery uh, in net funds uh, from the middle of 2020 as we really focus on liquidity. And we've been able to hold on to that position throughout 21, and that's what's led to the real positive net funds and the turnaround in the net funds performance um, over the last couple of years. And, and I think that that is testament to the strength of the business and the way in which we've managed and controlled the overall business. So I think that sort of strong funds position and that continued strength in the balance sheet has led us to review the capital allocation priorities. Um, and the great news is that we've been able to uh, identify that there is surplus cash and, and go through a, a return to, to shareholders. So just running through this slide in a little bit of detail, we did clarify our capital allocation priorities uh, last year and we published those uh, in the reporting accounts. And, and as you run through this, yep, we've got a strong balance sheet and that's a tick and I've just talked through that. We are making some investments uh, in the business and we are ramping up that investment in the trade counts as I talked about. We are refreshing the MHE and, and replacing some of the equipment that we've had at many of the sites for many years. Despite that then, we've, we've then made uh, the sort of return to the dividend uh, payment stream and, uh, and twice covered on ordinary dividends, so we're able to announce that this year. The last two then priorities for us are around looking at sort of potential M&A opportunities. Now, although that may not be something that we're looking at imminently, um, there may well be something coming downstream uh, in time. So we need to keep a little bit of our uh, capital and our firepower available for potential uh, future investments. But despite that, we have identified that there is a sort of surplus cash um, and our ability to return 30 million pounds of that to shareholders. And we're going to do that in two ways. Um, one is to announce a special dividend, uh, which will be paid in line with the, uh, the ordinary dividend. Um, and that will be 15 million pounds of that. And that works out at just over 17 pence per share. And that's in excess of the total dividend payment that we're making and announcing for 21. So it's a really doubling up of that dividend. And that also means therefore we've got enough left uh, and we're um, looking to enter into a structured buyback program with our brokers where we'll be investing a similar amount of, of cash, 15 million pounds in a buyback plan, which will obviously take a number of months to run. We think that may take up to 12 months to run, but as a real strong statement from the board that we've got uh, a real strong business and, and, uh, and confidence in the future. Turning to ESG strategy, I promised a, a sort of summary of the ESG actions that we've taken over the year. Uh, so we've got a slide just summarising some of those points. We did produce our first uh, full form ESG strategy in May. Um, and this year we're going to uh, publish that alongside and, and as part of our annual report, which is due out in the, in the next few weeks. Um, so what have we been doing? I think it's worth dwelling on the fact that ESG is E and it's S and it's G. Um, and as a, as a listed PLC, you might imagine uh, we've been very strong on governance. Um, and the compliance activity in the market obviously continues to go. Um, and it's something that we have to keep under, under watch always. But I think the areas that we've really focused on this year are around the S, the social kind of side of our business and supporting local communities. Uh, and that's something that we're going to be uh, really focusing on 22 is supporting the communities we operate in. Um, and there's a community program I'm working on with my colleagues, uh, which will provide sort of, sort of charitable support and um, uh, community engagement across the whole of the businesses that we, that we serve. Uh, 
Um, and then turning to E, so the environmental side is, is typically what people do think about when we, when we mention ESG and the sustainability side of our business. Um, and there's an awful lot of actions that we are taking in that, in that area, so much so that we're going to create a, an ESG committee for 2022 that can focus on tracking the performance of the actions that we're looking at. We've just launched a, a diversity, equity and inclusion programme, uh, um, and we're looking at um, capturing the views of our people in the business to see how we can focus on that for 2022. Um, and I think this sort of ongoing supplier engagement I mentioned earlier around this sort of end of life recycling, capturing that product as it comes back when it's removed, is something that we will continue to talk to our suppliers about. Now that might take a number of years, but it's important um, that, we, that we are part of that sort of industry response to this important issue. And then I think the, the last thing just to mention is that we have set ourselves a, an ambition of, of going net zero on carbon by 2035. And of course, we'll, we'll take some time to, to work out the actions that we need to take around scope one, scope two and scope three, of course, uh, in the coming months and years uh, to, to work towards that ambition. Just bringing us right up to date with a trading update for January and February and the outlook and also one or two uh, board changes that we've seen. So I'm delighted to announce that uh, I've been appointed as Chief Executive for Headlam, um, which means I'll be immediately looking for um, a CFO to join me on the board. Um, and also the, the chairman has announced that he's stepping down after the AGM. So I'd personally like to thank um, Philip Lawrence for all of the work and support he's given me personally. And on behalf of the board, I'd like to thank him for his efforts, uh, what's seen us through a real transformational period. Um, over the last few years. So just turning to trading update, um, you will have seen on the daily sales chart that I did put January and February uh, sales numbers on the slide. So we have seen a good recovery back to pre-COVID levels. So that's a solid start to the year. And we've seen some, some early signs of the growth opportunities that we talked about through trade counters um, and the independent retailers really starting to take, take hold. So that's given us confidence uh, uh, on the outlook for the year and, and I think the strategy is going to deliver that strong performance for, for the year ahead. Against that, we do have to say that there are some headwinds and you know, many people have been talking about inflation impact in, in the market, there's the supply chain issues which we have mitigated. Um, but this, this sort of effect on consumer spending is a little unknown. So I think that is a, that is a cautionary note in the outlook. But as I said, um, a good start to the year um, and the strategy that we've got uh, gives us some confidence uh, for the outlook. That brings us to the end of the presentation. Uh, thank you for joining. Um, and uh, I look forward to taking questions. And we've got a question here. Do you think the residential sector strength will continue, i.e. home improvements, etc.? Yeah, I think there's a couple of um, competing factors on that particular question. I think there is, um, undoubtedly on the positive side, I think the, the, the people investing in, in their houses has continued. They have strong wage inflation. They have high employment. So perhaps there is going to be a continuation of the strong residential spend. But uh, I think the obvious headwinds that we've seen and, and um, the whole industry and the whole of the UK market is, is facing into this. Um, inflation and, and, and heat light and power costs, uh, uh, fuel costs, and I think that that sort of headwind and, and challenge that's going to present itself um, in Q2, Q3 um, is going to perhaps put a bit of a handbrake on uh, consumer spending. But but who knows? Um, I think the other aspect there is that perhaps people will wish to travel this year. They've been not been able to do that really over the last year or two. So perhaps we're going to see a, a slowdown on, on spend on, on that side. So I think there are a couple of competing factors, hence our desire to make sure that we can offer 
um, counterweight um, growth in, in other areas where we've had low share in the past. So I think it's important that we continue to, to look at the multiple retailers and the house builders um, to offset any potential slowdown we may see in, the, in our uh, independent retailers on, on the consumer side. Thank you. And in the market segments that you're underweight in, what's the competitive landscape look like and who are the main competitors? Yeah, it's an interesting one there. So if you look at the multiple retailers, for the, mo- for the most part, they actually buy their products direct from manufacturers. Um, but as a consequence of that, it's quite a, a challenging service proposition for them. So they're able to buy relatively low price. Um, however, they have to take bulk supplies, they have to handle the, the product in their own distribution network, and they're quite awkward products to hold and, and distribute. So um, I think the, the proposition that we've uh, positioned in that space is one that where we sit in between the manufacturers and, and that customer group. So that does mean that the uh, multiple retailer will pay a premium over um, their direct supply from manufacturer. But of course, in return, they get a much better quality bespoke service. We can range broad ranges of products. We can bespoke it. We can give them their own branding and we can package it up for each of their of their stores. So it can be a much more compelling service. Um, we def- defray all of that work capital exposure that they have. Um, and it, albeit it comes at a slight premium over their, their direct-to-manufacturer pricing. Great. Thank you very much. And can you expand on the reference to one billion customer segment in multiple retail? Yeah, we, we, when we looked at the marketplace and we did some work with a, a third party to look at the market and the sizing, you know, we looked at, say, a three billion pound market is what we think the market's worth at distributor sales pricing. Um, and that sort of breaks into different the different customer segments. And, and, and the, the right hand side, side of that chart that put up is where that billion pounds sits. So we think a billion pounds of the three sits in the, the multiple retailer and house segment. So that's quite a big chunk. Uh, of the marketplace and typically and historically we've had little uh, exposure to that space and and therefore it seems to me and and us that we can offer a really compelling proposition to target growth in those underweight areas. Thank you and can you explain what you're going to do as CEO differently in the future? Yeah I think the the number of priorities I've been focusing on I think for me there's a kind of market phasing growth aspiration um, you know, operations, yeah, there's a bit of work to do there. We'll tidy it up. But for me, it's about it, it injecting growth and energy and enthusiasm and targeting, really um, sharpening up our proposition and looking at growth in these new spaces. So for me, that's about energy, getting out, meeting customers um, and, and adding some some real um, kind of aspirational growth uh, to that side. I think on the other the other aspect of it is, is engaging with, our people. So I think we haven't been uh, necessarily as hardwired and communicative with our people as we could have been. And I really personally want to see us um, uh, invest in our, in our people. We've uh, you know, announced a number of things where we've uh, improved the, the reward packages for our people, you know, sick pay and holiday pay. All of that stuff has improved in recent months. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm committing to uh, in the future of really engaging directly with, with the people who work for us. Thank you. And how should we judge your level of success in penetrating the multiple retailer channel? 
Yeah, it's something I think we we need to continue to talk to the market about. You know, having now set out on the strategy, we talked about the size and the scale of the opportunity. Um, I, I'd like to just keep telling the market about what we're doing, how successful we're being, and introducing, if I can, if I get permission to, the names of the customers we're working with. So I think that's a, an area that I'd like to see us, us growing in, and I'll just keep the market updated on on how successful we're being and, and to hopefully be able to drop in some customers that, we, that we've won. And has staff been an issue and staff attrition and attracting good staff? Or is this, have you managed to hold on to people and you haven't really needed to recruit? Um, no, I think I think the whole the whole market has, has seen a bit of rotation and a bit of change, and people wanted different things out of out of life following the sort of COVID experience. So, for me, it's about making sure we're a good place to work. Um, we offer the right package, the right rewards, um, and and um, I think that the people that we that I talk to every day enjoy working in the business. So, yeah, I, I think there are always some types of jobs where you will see a bit of rotation, but um, uh, nothing. We haven't seen anything uh, completely uh, out of kilter with what we've seen in previous years. I think there's been a slight, uh, slight increase, uh, probably in 21, as a in a response to the uh, the lack of movement in 20 during the COVID period. But um, yeah, it, it feels like a, a good place to be, and uh, people are uh, are enjoying working here. Thank you. And um, what percentage of product is sourced from China? Yeah, I mean the Asian supply chain has been has been heavily affected by. Um, the cost of containers and, and, uh, and that's been a feature of the marketplace. Um, most of our product is, is UK and Western Europe um, supply. So we have um, single digits um, coming from Asia. Um, so yeah, relatively modest, um, but obviously it has a bit of an impact around around the whole world, doesn't it? When uh, the, the, the cost of containers and the supply of goods from Asia does affect um, manufacturing processes in Western Europe. But say the vast majority of our product comes from Western Europe and the UK. Thank you. And does new house building, which seems to be extensive at the moment, help your business? Yeah, well, it's a, that's a good question. A timely talking about strategy that I've just outlined. So in the past, we would have said no, I think. Um, the, the how people moving houses and housing transactions typically hasn't had a, a bigger effect on our business because when people move, they tend to refurb and, and, and change the rooms and not just one room, they may do a whole floor or, or, or the whole house when they move home. So we have seen uh, housing transactions as being important and therefore um, the number of house bills has been less relevant because in, in any given year, there may only be a couple of hundred thousand new houses being built, whereas we've got a... Uh, established dwelling numbers in 20 million and, uh, and some. So the RMI spend and, uh, has been a far bigger uh, factor for us. However, if we are targeting house building as a, sec- as a sector and we've got uh, a quite a compelling proposition in that space, clearly the number of house builds that are being made is important to us. And it's encouraging to see that the number of house builds in 21 is around 25% up in 2020. And the expectations are that 22 will be even higher. So we're, I think we're addressing this market at the right, at the right time. And uh, the proposition that we can put to, to that, that, that market space is, is encouraging. So, yeah, I think house builds will be increasingly important for us as we, as we develop that part of the business. Thank you. And can you talk a little bit about cost inflation and the effect it could have broadly or specifically on the residential sector? 
yeah, as I said at the start, you know, what does the residential and, and consumer demand curve look like? No doubt cost inflation will have an effect on that at some point. Um, as I said, the, the, the flip side of that, of course, is that wage inflation is is compensating for that and, and the level of employment also. So on us specifically, the cost inflation obviously does have an effect. Heat and light power and fuel uh, is embedded in our, in our cost to serve. I suppose in our sector, there has been price inflation on the product supply. So that price inflation typically gets passed on to, to customers, um, which means that we can um, accommodate some of the cost inflation we've seen uh, further down the income statement. But as I said at the start, I think the bigger question on cost inflation is what it does to demand generally. Um, and uh, I think there's a little bit of protection in our sector because of the infrequent timing of when consumers actually yeah, replace their floors. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. And that's the end of questions. Do you have any closing remarks? Yeah, I think I said at the end of the, at the end of the slideshow, you know, there is this sort of headwind that we're we're all facing into on the on the um, consumer side, but I think we're well placed to to meet that. You know, we've got a great strategy. It's showing some some good solid um, early performance and, and signs in January, and February. Um, the, the the sort of stretching out into the different parts of the of customer types is. Is going to only add as a counterweight to any any weakness there may be. So, yeah, board's really supportive and, and confident in, in the future. So we're we're hopeful for a, for a strong twenty twenty two. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice, and nothing in our material should be taken as such.